Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekend.ai for articles we didn't cover in this episode. And before we start, if you have any feedback or thoughts about our podcast, feel free to email us at contact at lastweekend.ai. We would love, love, love to hear from you. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Joe, And I am your other host, soon-to-be doctor, Andrei Karenkov. And we'll see if all goes well. This year. <laughs> all see. will go well. <laughs> yes. So in this episode, as usual, we'll be chatting about a variety of types of news stories. Uh, as far as applications in business, we'll be talking about AI for photo editing and for synthetic voice acting. In research, we'll be again talking about DeepMind and Google uh, for fusion reactors and uh, reducing carbon footprints of machine learning. For society and ethics, we'll talk about uncovering who Q is from QAnon and once again talking about Clearview AI and what's going on with them. And to finish things off, we'll talk about some fun stories with an AI that generates fake new Pokemon and an animated music video made with AI. So let's go ahead and dive straight in with our first story. AI arrives for serious photo editing, not just smartphone snapshots. And this is all about how software maker Skylum released a new version of this Luminar Neo photo editing tool that has uh, functionality powered by AI to handle things sort of automatically, which used to be time-consuming tasks. So you can do things like remove power lines or erase dark blotches caused by dust on your camera, and some also fancier things like create a depth map that allows you to change uh, elements to the scene depending on how far they are from the camera, if they're in the foreground or background. And so, yeah, this is uh, kind of talking about how, you know, we've seen a lot of filters and all these sorts of apps on smartphones, but this uh, editing is uh, more of a desktop PC experience and has some more, let's say, sophisticated functionality. And uh, Adobe is also doing this to some extent with Lightroom and Photoshop. So this is kind of a, a pretty active area. This is a very busy area, and it's very exciting to see uh, that this is going into, you know, the professional market more and more. Uh, yeah, and Adobe is obviously um, probably the biggest incumbent in this space uh, with a lot of researchers. Uh, so I, I feel like Luminar is, is very brave to be <laughs> hacking in this space. Uh, and some of the applications are a very interesting, like the removing of power lines. It just feels like Yes, that is a very common use case. Uh, not one I would have thought of immediately. I'm, I'm sure we would have thought of, you know, dust or dark blotches, but uh, power lines is interesting and, and a common thing to be editing out. Uh, so it's it's great to be able to tackle some of these very specific types of objects, uh, which are probably much easier to remove um, if we just tackle that that one type. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, because personally I've done some photography and I've used Adobe Lightroom. And Adobe Lightroom is sort of maybe the standard 
uh, app or the most commonly used app that people tend to use, uh, at least after Photoshop. So Photoshop is very fancy, has a lot of features. Lightroom is a little more streamlined. And they have even added an, a more streamlined Lightroom. But this looks like it's also sort of targeting that thing where you are into photography, you have a fancy camera, you want to edit your photos, but it's not nearly as complicated as Photoshop. And it has a lot of powerful features where you don't need to sort of uh, spend a lot of time learning it. And some of these things that it does, like removing dust spots automatically, is <laughs> really useful. You know, this is something I did a lot in Lightroom, and you had to sort of manually see them, find them, and kind of uh, choose kind of, uh, I guess, blur them out into the background. And it was a huge hassle. So it makes a ton of sense to do this automatically. Uh, and, and things like removing power lines also make sense for a lot of sort of street photography and, and landscapes. So, yeah, I think this is pretty cool. Uh, and I'm excited to see this, this being more and more of a case with photo editing and maybe down the line video editing. Likewise. And on to our next article, uh, listen to an AI voice actor try and flirt with you. This article is about an AI voice startup called Synantic uh, in that they are uh, making audio deepfakes, creating a synthetic voice that will, you know, express uh, flirtation and a bit of teasing uh, in its speech. And uh, I, you know, their their PR video was very, very good. Uh, and they said they... Um, uh, they, there, there was some, you know, definitely post-processing getting that, uh, to be, to be very, very good. Um, and the overall goal of the company, uh, the CEO says, uh, CTO says, excuse me, uh, is that they want to choose, you know, love as this general theme and see if they can capture and model subtle emotions and be able to convey that through synthetic voice. Uh, and they essentially want to be the Photoshop for voice, uh, which, you know, is very similar to Descript, uh, another company that we've uh, chatted about before. Uh, and um, in, in particular, they are tackling um, a, a different set of clients from Descript. Descript is looking into podcasting. Uh, these guys are looking into uh, game studios, uh, entertainment studios, um, more of the quote unquote higher end. They did a partnership with Mercedes um, and yeah, I, I mean, they're from their PR video, you know, it sounds really good. It sounds like Scarlett Johansson from her. Uh, but uh, from their, uh, the, the article uh, um, did a great job of asking them for raw clips, uh, saying different things in different tones. Um, and those were a lot rougher. Uh, so uh, I, I suggest that you uh, look at those. Uh, but I do imagine that post-processing can get us um, pretty, pretty far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've talked about this in the past a bit with how this whole idea of AI voice acting could be very impactful, especially for video games. And we've had a couple of stories on that where uh, some video game companies have started sort of powering some of the side characters with um, AI techniques. And what's interesting here is the article notes that there's a lot of these companies doing sort of voice synthesis for different things. Uh, a big trend recently is that articles have an audio version uh, that 
uh, newsletters uh, or newspapers or you know, different media platforms can use, and that's generative AI. But this article notes that this company is saying that what's unique for their offering is that they uh, you do synthesize the audio, but then you can do sort of control and tweaking via their software. So you can choose the emotion and you can be, say, happy, low, medium, high. And then there's this whole sort of timeline, director mode, where you can adjust the pitch and the pacing per word. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, it seems like a good amount of de- uh, kind of options for customization, which makes a lot of sense. And I think up until now, uh, this kind of controllability in audio has been challenging. And so this is uh, really great to see work in this direction. Uh, you can also add laughter and breaths and that really helps in making it sound less robotic. Um, and and, and yeah, and I think it's still over time, it can sound a little bit like a robot, like there's still not enough emotional range, uh, but um, it, it's it's gotten to be really good. And it, it feels like it's largely engineering left in terms of getting it to be to be very, very good consistently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I think it's, it's also good to sort of re- understand that these techniques as they become products, you know, it's unnecessary that the AI will do all the work and it'll just be completely automated, right? Must, much more likely for these sorts of creative applications, it will be a cooperative process where the human uses AI as a tool to sculpt what they need. And it's, so it's, it's cool to see that their focus is very much on that sort of thing. That said, the article does caution uh, the fact that, you know, if AI voices can flirt with you, what might they persuade you to do? You know, like the ethics around around that as we move forward with synthetic voices. Mm, definitely. Yeah, I think the uh, capacity for hacking via phishing, you know, leave a voicemail as someone who works at the company or whatever is definitely also something that exists and, and other things like that. Alrighty, so then on to discussion of some research advancements. First up, we have DeepMind's AI can control superheated plasma inside a fusion reactor. And this is from the MIT Technology Review. So this article covers uh, the paper magnetic control of Takamak plasma through deep reinforcement learning. Uh, published in Nature, which is where DeepMind likes to publish all their fancy, <laughs> <laughs> exciting stuff that gets a lot of PR. Yeah, yeah, no, they love it. They love it. And so, um, yeah, and it's just what it sounds like, basically. DeepMind has trained a neural network to control this uh, process inside a fusion reactor, a tokamak fusion reactor, where you need to sort of control the state of plasma with an electromagnetic field so that it stays in right shape and doesn't touch kind of the edges of this tokamak and cool down. So in that process, there's a lot of information from sensors that is collected and that is used to adjust what the kind of generation of the electromagnetic cage is uh, doing, how that's done. 
And so it's a very cool application. It's another kind of, it's a really strong demonstration of RL being used for something real in the real world, just like we saw last week with uh, <laughs> DeepMind as well, doing YouTube video compression. But if you look at the paper, actually, there's nothing really interesting from a technical point of view. They use a simulator and they use the standard reinforcement learning algorithm, and that's about it. So once again, I think the big exciting news story is DeepMind collaborating with sort of scientists with another group to really build something that is very useful or, and really demonstrates uh, the usefulness of AI in a new area. And I want to stress that even though it's not a new technique or, you know, some of the techniques that are used to apply to the real world aren't very novel or might seem like almost old news to the ML community, uh, the fact or the process of getting it to out into the real world uh, and, you know, working on that type of data and massaging that data correctly is is work. Uh, and so. Uh, and collecting that data, of course, is just a lot, a lot of that is is a lot of work um, and deploying it correctly and making sure, you know, the speed of deployment is is proper and everything. There's just there is a lot that goes into that. Um, and uh, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be uh, downplayed. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And especially because uh, DeepMind here worked in collaboration with the Swiss Plasma Center at EPFL. EPFL being uh, one of the top universities in Europe. And uh, so in addition to demonstrating in simulation, they could train this thing, they demonstrated it in the real world with an actual uh, fusion reactor that it works. So, and I think what's very cool here is, you know, DeepMind is sort of especially suited to sort of very engineering heavy tasks where, you know, you don't want to mess this up when you're actually running code on a fusion reactor. That's a very kind of um, uh, more sensitive area where you don't want to mess up and you don't want to, you know, have code with bugs. And it's definitely somewhere where you want sort of more principled engineering uh, and investment in having this ability to collaborate. So DeepMind really has been impressive in all their collaborations with different groups. On We talked about climate change, we talked about weather prediction, uh, video compression, and now we're talking about uh, controlling a fusion reactor. I agree with the engineering principles part and that contrasts with research institute, academic research institutions doing the same thing where, you know, there might be pressure, more pressure to publish, as well as fewer good engineering practices. Uh, certainly not sure how many, I could probably count on one hand the number of unit tests I saw during my PhD. <laughs> and uh, so it, it is an important area for uh, a, a group like DeepMind to be pushing on. So it's actually very exciting to see this type of work come out of them because it's very unique uh, to, their, to their org structure. Yeah. Yeah. And aside from engineering also, I mean, these kinds of things are just a lot of work. And so as usual, if you read these kind of papers, there's like two dozen offers. And again, that's something about academia, the kind of resources needed to pull off something like this are much harder to find than sort of the long-term investment necessary to pull this off is much more rare. So it's, it's really cool to see DeepMind continuing to do these sorts of things.
And on to our second article, good news about the carbon footprint of machine learning training. And this article is based on the paper uh, by Google, the carbon footprint of machine learning training will plateau, then shrink. And this was accepted for publication in IEEE Computer. And it basically talks about operational carbon emissions. So the energy cost uh, when operating machine learning hardware. So that includes data center overheads, um, especially when you know training uh, these large natural language models. Um, and it, the paper discusses best practices that could reduce the carbon footprint. And they specifically put out you know, four key practices that they dubbed the four M's uh, and that have kept um, uh, machine learning under 15% of to Google's total energy use, which, you know, is still a lot, but <laughs> I'm not sure what to expect there. Uh, but anyways, the four M's are the model. You want to select an efficient model architecture, such as a sparse model, and that can reduce computation by three to 10 X. The machine obviously matters. So, uh, processors and systems that are optimized for ML training will improve efficiency and including energy efficiency by maybe two to five X. Uh, mechanization is the third one. And they actually discuss how computing the cloud rather than on-premise with your own compute uh, will actually reduce energy usage by 1.4 to two X. And that's because cloud uh, data centers are, they're, they're new and they are custom designed for energy efficiency. Uh, which makes sense because they have so many. Uh, and then the last one is map optimization. And so uh, this is basically uh, letting uh, in the cloud, letting customers uh, pick the location with the cleanest energy, and that further reduces the gross carbon footprint by 5 to 10x, uh, which is cool. And so uh, overall, uh, you know, the, the paper continues to go on giving stats on uh, what Google has done in particular, um, and uh, and also discusses how uh, some of the estimates about uh, some of the papers that Google put out may have been wrong uh, by a large margin, specifically about NAS, uh, Neural Architecture Search. <laughs> uh, and uh, so it, it definitely, this blog at least rang a little bit around. It felt like Google PR for sure, and definitely cloud PR. Uh, but but that makes sense coming coming from Google, and they have done really great work in reducing energy in their data centers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's obvious that this is to some degree PR, but at the same time, it's not empty PR, right? It's actual research and in addition to sort of saying here's what you're doing they also publish these recommendations for data center providers for ml practitioners for ml researchers and some of these are pretty pretty useful actually so they recommend ml researchers should continue to develop more efficient machine learning models and efficiency is something that to this day is maybe less emphasized or looked into compared to just performance and things like that. So that would be a useful change. And hopefully, you know, now as they have these four M's, they can actually integrate it into their uh, cloud tools so that if a developer is using Google Cloud to do some machine learning, do some AI, they can just from the software perspective when setting up the uh, cloud compute environment they can optimize it for emissions and energy use 
Um, so yeah, I think uh, we've seen Google publish a paper like this before, looking at how you can optimize um, uh, emissions and energy use. So I'm glad they are kind of continuing to do a sort of thing. And I haven't seen, you know, any other big company like Amazon or Facebook do a sort of work. So, you know, uh, maybe they should get around to it as well. <laughs> you should get around to it. That's true. That's true. I, yeah. I mean, it is a uh, very good work and very important. Um, and I mean, saying that the cloud is great, it also obviously improves Microsoft and Amazon's, uh, work on the cloud, um, who take the majority stake uh, in the cloud industry. Uh, and I do think I do think it has been shifting actually for ML researchers to focus on efficiency, especially since now the models are so large. People are thinking about efficiency much more than before. So uh, it is it is indeed uh, starting to become a very relevant um, metric. Yeah, and I guess it also relates to kind of. AI and machine learning being sort of young in general as an engineering practice. So a lot of these uh, best practices and kind of rules of thumb aren't yet well known. And hopefully papers like this will help um, machine learning and AI become more of a principled engineering field where people are aware of all these factors to take into account. But moving on to some non-research stories about society and ethics, we have our first pretty exciting, interesting story titled, Who is behind QAnon? Linguistic Detectives Find Fingerprints. So this is from the New York Times, and it talks about how two different uh, teams, one team uh, from this organization, Orf Analytics, and the other one by French computational linguist Florian Cafiero and Jean-Baptiste Camps um, used forensic linguistics to basically pinpoint the most likely people behind the kind of anonymous figure of Q. So for people who are not in the US or maybe not aware of this whole Q thing, Q is a kind of character who started posting on message boards various kind of, uh, I guess, predictions and basically conspiracy theories, building out this whole alternative reality where Hillary Clinton was the devil, there's a whole Illuminati kind of uh, situation, and Donald Trump is kind of the victorious figure who will save and destroy this evil group. And it's really taking hold. There's many people influenced by QAnon following this sort of conspiracy theory. So it's had a major effect in the US, a surprisingly big effect. In fact, it was part of what drove the January 6th insurrection uh, last year, which was obviously a very big event in uh, the US history. So yeah, this study sheds light, or these two studies shed light on the real life figures who might have been Q. And the short story is, it looks like uh, two people, one person early on and then another person, seem pretty likely to be the ones who uh, were the people writing Q. And, and both of these people 
were involved publicly in being proponents of Q and in these whole communities. So it's not too surprising. Of course, the two people are still denying all of this. Sharon, were you aware of much of this Q <laughs> stuff up to now? I have not been that aware, uh, obviously, since I was asking you or, or getting a reminder on QAnon before this. Uh, but uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I know that they've been in the news quite a bit and people have been talking about them quite a bit. So it's interesting that, um, you know, AI can help uncover some of these things uh, or just analyzing uh, text. And it also makes me wonder whether... I can be backtraced from my internet footprint um, and, and how well I can be backtraced to me. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, this sort of linguistic analysis is nothing new, but they are using some sort of newer AI techniques. Although looking at the actual paper, I found it interesting that they're using support vector machines with ngrams. Mm -hmm. So well, <laughs> if you know I guess AI we could have done that. We yeah. could have done that a few decades ago, so uh, that's fine. Yeah, computational linguists are, are not yet in the deep learning hype, I guess. They're still using some more established older techniques. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this is quite interesting. To be fair, Q and these people have a very distinctive writing style. Lots of old caps, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the caps are really noticeable. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's maybe easier to pinpoint um, who might have been Q than uh, some of these URI, let's say, if you wanted to start a conspiracy theory anonymously. You know, <laughs> if we wanted to. <laughs> if, not when. Yeah, I mean... We, are too, we don't have the time for that, you know? It's, <laughs> we have a lot of stuff going on. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, yeah, anyone curious about this, uh, this New York Times article goes into it and what QAnon is in some detail. So check it out. Awesome. Well, on to our next article. A facial recognition firm Clearview AI tells investors it is seeking massive expansion beyond law enforcement. So uh, this article is about uh, how Clearview AI is thinking about uh, raising their next round and that they are actually pushing towards 100 billion images of faces in its index of faces. And this is equivalent to 14 photos for each of the 7 billion people on Earth. Of course, it's not um, of everyone equally, but uh, that is kind of the, the magnitude and scale at which they are planning to get things to. Uh, and that is obviously alarming. <laughs> um, we've been talking about Clearview quite a bit. Um, and Clearview now really wants to expand beyond just scanning faces for the police. Uh, they want to monitor the gig economy workers and... Uh, they want to identify someone based on not just their face, but also their gait, how they walk, um, and also uh, detect their location from a photo or scan their fingerprints from afar. And so this is all in their 55-page pitch deck um, and about how they're going to expand further. And they're, of course, looking for another round of funding. Um, uh, and... 
Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Andre? We've been following Clearview for quite some time now. Um, is this surprising? Is this, uh, is this the usual? What do you think? Yeah, I suppose it's not surprising. Uh, the goals here of going to a hundred billion facial recognition images are, uh, maybe not surprising at all, but this whole thing about monitoring gig economy workers and using, uh, things to identify someone based on how they walk detecting their location from a photo. This stuff is pretty, <laughs> you know, as bad as it is to use facial recognition for uh, police uh, use cases, this is getting even more dystopian, you know, where Uber and Uber Eats and all these companies and Amazon will be using these techniques to just keep more of a close eye on their workers. Uh, yeah, so as ever, kind of not, it, it seems like we are in Black Mirror area already with Cleaver AI for sure. Uh, indeed. Uh, it, what I find also interesting peppered throughout the article is that I, I believe uh, Clearview, you know, touts all these clients, but some of the clients really claim that they're just misusing the logo. Uh, for example, um, Match Group, which owns Tinder and OkCupid, says that they're not actually using Clearview, even though they seem to be in their materials uh, and, and the like. Uh, and, and so I guess we'll see um, how this moves forward. Uh, they have now more than... 3,100 law enforcement agencies. And I I also truly believe, because they were quite small in 2020 even, that all these news articles that are saying things against them have actually helped them in spreading the word and getting clients so quickly. It's true. We, we definitely yeah. got a lot of PR from it. Um, to be fair, in other countries, in Europe and Australia and so on, in Canada, they were banned pretty quickly, uh, so we are not operating there. So the controversy, to some extent, um, did help, and there are lawsuits going on in the U.S. But yeah, because the U.S. is behind on the legal uh, stuff, it's it seems to be growing quite a bit. And I find this idea of going to have an even larger database of facial photos kind of surprising because, you know, people are just taking these from the internet. They're taking these from Instagram and Facebook and Google and YouTube, and they can't do that. That's against, you know, the um, license agreement of these services. You know, Facebook and Google and so on have demanded that the company stop taking these photos. And apparently Clearview argues that this is, it's collection of the data is protected under the first amendment. Uh, so I'm kind of mystified how they can still get away with collecting data from Facebook and Twitter and so on, where I feel like these giants should be able to stop it somehow. Well, enough about <laughs> these depressing things uh, about the real world and how we're in Black Mirror already. Let's move on to our fun and neat stories to round things out. First up, we have from Kotaku. This AI generates fake new Pokemon, and it's actually pretty good. Uh, 
So yeah, pretty much what the title says, a machine learning engineer has created this AI tool called Generate Fakemon Using AI. And so he was inspired by the data scientist Max Wolf, who in December did sort of the same thing, basically. He created a model to generate new, a new Pokemon that looked very kind of plausible and shared the results on Twitter and Reddit. And now this person, uh, Liam Eloa, basically did the same thing um, in terms of a technical approach. Uh, and the fun thing is now there is actually a website you can go to nocommand.loe.tech, or you can just Google generate fake mon using AI, and you can play around with it. I played around with it a bit, and, you know, it's pretty good. It's pretty fun. Have you tried it, Sharon? Yes, I did make a Charmander-like Pokemon, and it looks pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and the UI is very straightforward. You know, you just literally choose what Pokemon to generate to be similar to. So uh, definitely something if you are a fan or even not a fan of Pokemon, <laughs> you can play around with. Yeah, and it looks pretty good. Though I will say, it uh, you mentioned the the model being used. It was Dolly, right? That's what the blog post says. Yeah, fine-tuning Dali. But we didn't find the notebook for it, so. Yeah, I couldn't. He didn't publish the source code on GitHub, man. I, I tried to find it, and it wasn't public. And he didn't disclose too much in the blog post about how he did it. So, uh, I don't know. I'm a little suspicious of the claims. <laughs> but I guess it'll be a secret then. Yeah, well, you know. It's, I guess it's fine. You know, we have many of these kinds of things, but uh, it's nice that he generated this website where people can play around with it. Yeah. And on to our last article titled AI generated this moody, entertaining animated music video. Uh, so this was a, a music video um, based on a song uh, from one a romantic partner to another um and uh it took you know about you know uh the person who made it took about 12 hours studying learning the tools um including clip from open ai and i believe it was clip guided diffusion that he used uh and basically just let it run for about 36 hours to um uh render all the different scenes from the lyrics of the of the song, uh, and uh, apparently it was at a cost of about three dollars in computing resources. <laughs> um, so uh, not not too much, though. I'm, I'm a little skeptical. I feel like it costs a little more than that. Maybe maybe it was CPU. I don't know. Um, so uh, the the output is amazing. Um, so. I, I really recommend you go look at it. It's paired really nicely with the song and, you know, things kind of meld in interpolations as the lyrics change, of course, in the song. Uh, so, so yeah, I think it's a really, honestly, a perfect song for, for this application. Yeah, I was just looking at it and I'm very impressed with this music video. I think there, you know, it's the idea itself is not too surprising, but the way it's done is very artful with this sort of, uh, the image continually changes 
uh, in time to the music and sync to the music. And this this song is pretty has a low tempo, so it actually works very well with the AI technique. And the images are quite evocative. Like, um, yeah, this is a proper music video and a lot of fun to see. So, yeah, really cool and uh, what a nice gift. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It, it, it was a gift. <laughs> um, and uh, just to, you know, one last note on this, um, uh, the person who made it did say that he does imagine that the, the tools, you know, this, this kind of text to images, clip guided diffusion, but more broadly um, could be used for you know background um background images behind lectures or ted style talks it could be you know used for more music videos and that um anything that can have a visual he says will have a visual so you don't need to be you know an expert designer to have really cool visuals accompanying what you say yeah for sure and this is already being a major thing, I suppose, like all of these uh, TikTok filters <laughs> and Instagram filters, you know, these are AI powered already. So I think it'll become more and more the case that tools will just be there and you won't need to know anything about the backend AI techniques or whatever. It'll just be something you use and uh, it'll be sort of yeah, common uh, for a lot of visual media and audio media. And that's it for this episode. As we said, if you have any thoughts or requests or anything, suggestions, you can email us at contact at last week in AI. Besides that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to a weekly newsletter with a lot more of them at lastweekin.ai. And of course, subscribe to us. Of course, leave us a rating. Of course, leave us a review. Even if you don't like the show. No, please. I mean, if you got here, you hopefully like the show. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you are hate listening until the end. <laughs> That's kind of weird, I gotta say. <laughs> it's kind of weird. By the way, shout out, we, I just saw this a few days ago. We got a review uh, on the 10th from Saurabh, uh, and it says, excellent, really enjoy the podcast. There's so much AI news right now, so the podcast really helps me keep up with what's actually important. What a nice review, you know? That's exactly what we'd hope the podcast is doing. So that really made our day, I think, to see that. And, Definitely, uh, yes. yes. Yeah. So, you know, just run that through GPT-3, paraphrase it, and leave us that next review paraphrased. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We appreciate it. But you don't have to. You know, it's just... If yeah, obviously you don't have I mean, we're not... I mean, we can't, so... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, yes, and... Be sure to tune in to next week and the weeks after. Woo.